This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode is brought to you by Our Pilates, an online platform with over 150 physio-led Pilates classes. Hello and welcome to Witching Hour, Ready or Not's brand new sister podcast that looks at what's exciting, delighting, intriguing and frustrating us as we do our best to make work, work. I'm Lucinda. And I'm Loz. And I thought I would kick things off today on a positive note. So last week, the Workplace Gender Equality Agency reported the lowest ever national gender pay gap. It now sits at 13%, down 0.3% since Feb. Still, Lou, a pretty significant gap, but far better than the 19% it's hovered at over the last two decades. Love a bit of good news. Absolutely small wins. Just before we whinge. Exactly. <laughs> now, Lou, we realised that after last week, you never actually introduced yourself. I thought I was getting away with that and it's ridiculous that as a podcast host you try and hide yourself but I am Lucinda. I'm a mother of a toddler, a little boy called Ray and I have a baby girl joining our family in January. And speaking of toddlers, I came across across a quote from an article the other day that caught my attention. The quote comes from a piece by Bustle that looks at how millennial bosses, particularly women and very often in that category mothers, feel responsible for their team's mental health. So they're not just staying on top of theirs and their team's workload, they're managing their emotions and potentially playing the role of mother both at work and at home. So they're doing a lot. They're doing a bit. Yeah. I don't want to be anyone's mum besides Ray. No. That's plenty. Maybe the daughter that's on her way, but no one else. So the subject of the article is a mother who is managing a team before deciding to quit because it all becomes too much. The emotional load of parenting, managing her team's work and managing their emotions is just too much for her. In the article by Bustle, they coined the term momaging or mummaging, I guess, if you're not American. (laughs) And this lady says, on some days, I feel like I have a toddler at home and eight more at work. So the article opens with this mother's experience. She's counselling one of her team members through a family member attempting suicide. So obviously a really sensitive and serious topic. Of course. But she was taking weekend calls and using entire meetings for weeks on end just to talk about how that person was feeling and what was happening in their family dynamic at the time. She said, I often wonder whether it's because I'm a woman and a millennial or both. I've thought about saying this is not the time or place to talk about these matters, but there's a risk with that, especially as a woman, of being labelled as an insensitive bitch, which I can totally imagine. Absolutely. No one would think twice about a man being like, look, I hope you're okay, but we need to stick to the meeting. Yeah. For a woman, it's way more loaded. It's quite a complex scenario. On the one hand, it's obvious that this is serious and that this person should receive support from their workplace. Managers need to offer empathy and vulnerability. And in a lot of cases, even this manager says it's been a strength of hers. It means that people are willing to work for her. They can open up to her and it makes for a better dialogue. She can ask her team for what she needs and they can ask her for what they need. So in a lot of ways, a great win. And I think COVID was a huge part in this. We were in each other's living rooms a bit more. We were seeing kids run past screens and everyone just had to open up a bit more. And especially in Victoria, like our managers sort of had to ask us how we were doing. We're all in lockdown. Of course. So there was a lot of support around that time. And I think that's made this whole thing even more complex. But on the other hand, 
this manager has to manage a team and that team has to contribute work to a workplace. Well, they have to get their job done, right? Eventually something's got to give. Like, of course, there deserves to be a grieving period and, of course. I don't think we're not saying, I I don't think we're saying that there shouldn't be a grieving period. Exactly, but it's a really tricky one. And this is basically the dichotomy of this situation that the woman found herself in, this mum, and she ended up quitting because it was just too much. So there's absolutely no doubt that support has a time and a place, but where do we draw the line? It's a good question. I think across the board what we're seeing is more and more organisations are placing importance on well-being, right? She's got inverted commas for everyone that can't see. Yeah, correct. (laughs) But what that means most of the time is that's yoga or calm subscriptions or a stipend available for employees. But what I personally haven't seen in the workplace is actually support for managers themselves. For a lot of us, work takes up a lot of time of our day and of our lives. And because of the spotlight being placed rightfully on mental health and this encouragement to bring your authentic self to work, there's a bigger bleed than ever about professional versus personal boundaries. I think as well as during COVID, because we were all working from home, there was no real off switch. So that made what you're talking about even worse. Like we really didn't, there was no difference between work and home life. Yeah. And I'm all about bringing your authentic self to work. I would never say otherwise. However, I think it does come to a point where at the end of the day, you need to be productive and get your work done. So I'll give you an example. During COVID in one of my meetings, as a meeting opener, one of the things we had to do was provide one word for how you were feeling before that meeting. And it's actually a really nice way to start conversation, particularly when you're all remote. So let's just say Sally put her word as happy and I put my word as motivated and I don't know. Johnny down the road. Johnny down the road put his (laughs) word as excited. One person in that meeting put their word as deflated. And because it was a small meeting, it was almost so awkward that Mm. it had to be acknowledged. So, of course, we said, hey, or the meeting host said, hey, I just want to unpack that a little bit. I can see that you're feeling deflated. Is everything okay? Tick, great question to ask. But what happened from that moment on is that meeting was completely overrun. So that meeting became unpacking that person's personal life in a group situation all of us were open to like hearing about it and want to be supportive. But what could have been done better is that the person running that meeting said, appreciate you for being so honest. Let's unpack this offline. I'd love to connect with you. Mm. Um, we do have a couple of meeting agenda items to get through today. So instead of brushing their feelings aside, acknowledging them. Yes. But also continuing on with the work that needs to get done. And almost setting boundaries about there being times and places so that personal and private lives or personal and professional lives don't don't bleed into each other. The person that ran this meeting was a woman and what I found interesting in that article that you actually sent through to me was this point that said women leaders reported higher levels of burnout and were 1.5 times more likely than men to have switched jobs because their workload was unmanageable. And it's not the everyday stuff. It's the employees that you're essentially taking care of. And to your point about managers being supported, this article also has a study that said that 
70% of managers would take a pay cut right now for a job that better supports their mental wellness. So it's so interesting. When you said that to me when we were talking about this episode, it's the first time I'd thought about, about it like that. My boss was really supportive during COVID and I didn't I didn't find COVID terrible. Like I didn't have a great time, but it, it wasn't like a soul destroyer for me. But she always checked in with me. I, we didn't really, I didn't really check in with her. Like I asked her how she was going, but I didn't offer the same support that she was definitely offering to the five to eight people she managed at the time. I think another thing on COVID, which made me really reflect back on it, is at the time I was pregnant, I, I hadn't had any children. And one thing that really stood out to me upon reflection is all of those people that had children at home or homeschooling, my attitude was legitimately like, come on. Be on time. Interesting. Get your shit done. Until you had Sienna. Until I had Sienna and I was like, fuck, how do you get anything done with these children? Impossible. They just want your attention all the time. So my level of empathy, yeah, went went up. So you were an asshole before I was an asshole. No, I was. (laughs) During COVID, I was like, get your shit together. Like I just listened to complaint after complaint. I was like, I just want to get through my agenda. At the end of this piece, there's a great quote that I think completely answers our question about where does one draw the line between personal and professional. So this person says, if you're a manager and an employee is dealing with something, you want to make sure that you're working with their caregivers, but you don't want to be their caregiver. And I think that's just the line of exactly what you talked about. So I included this piece in an article that I recently posted on Ready or Not Substack. And someone actually asked us what Substack was. So I'll explain it to you quickly. It's essentially a blogging platform. I post there once a fortnight, I'll post like a bits and pieces article, which can be books or articles online, such as this one that I've found or podcasts that I've loved. And then every week I also write an essay, which is a bit more long form. It tackles something to do with feminism, motherhood, career. And you can find it at readyornot.substack.com, but I'll also put it in the show notes. So if you have a phone or you use social media, and if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to assume that you've heard of girl maths. It's a phenomenon that has taken social media by storm lately. Claire Stevens did a great TikTok about it. I've seen it. To her brother One of the few I've seen that we've both seen. Yeah. And basically girl maths, which a lot of us have done and a lot of us continue to do, is justifying our purchases, talking about cost per wear. If you're buying an expensive bag, how much does it cost Yeah, it's five bucks. It's not 2,000. No, it's $1 per wear. And my mum and my favourite version of girl maths is saying that we've saved money if we buy clothes on sale. Always. Yeah. Like, but, I mean, technically it is. I wholeheartedly believe I saved money if I bought a $200 shirt that was down to $100. So in response to girl maths, Lindsay Stanbury has written a piece called Forget About Girl Maths, Let's Talk About Mum Maths. I loved this piece. With the subheading, bad news, you always end up poorer. So while we can say that I saved $100 by buying a shirt at 50% off, Lindsay Stanbury doesn't quite paint that picture for us here. She says, I wanted to make a joke about mum math, the older, wiser and world-weary sister of girl math. But where the women doing girl math are trying to justify expensive skincare products in the name of self-care, mothers are doing mental gymnastics trying to justify the cost of childcare or a housekeeper, or any expense that might make their days a little easier. She then goes on to talk about the childcare crisis in America, of how it's not just about affording childcare, but actually finding childcare. Well, we've got the same problem here. Yes, but I think it's, I think it's on steroids in America. Yeah. Don't quote me, I am not a 
I'm I could speak about childcare all yeah. day long. I'm not a US uh, childcare correspondent. But the place has terrible and inaccessible childcare system. 25% of mothers return to work within two weeks it's insane. of having a child. Yeah. I've experienced that actually with my teams from my previous organisation. Oh, because you dealt they with were the all San in the US. Office. It was insane. And they used to look at Australians and genuinely think 12 months is a holiday. Like yeah. what are you Grow doing with you your child for 12 <laughs> months? Are you insane? They're the only industrialised country in the world without a federal paid maternity leave program. And if that wasn't enough, if this idea of how inaccessible and how expensive childcare was, Stanbury goes on to talk about how women's salaries are so heavily impacted every time they have a baby. She says, this is the mental math of motherhood that we're all doing every single day. Weighing the pros and cons of every expense, thinking about the cost of every single choice we make. We wonder if we should gun for that promotion or lean back so we get more time with our babies when they're small. You and I, when we discussed this article ahead of this record, particularly found the idea of weighing the pros and cons of where to spend our money really fascinating. Yeah. Lately, I've been quite quiet on the work front or quieter, just not filling my three days of freelance work quite as heavily as I was, say, a month ago. And I've been feeling incredibly guilty about sending Ray off to daycare on those three days because I don't feel like I'm doing my bit, which is scary because it goes to show how much capitalism has like indoctrinated us. Also, you're growing a child. Exactly. So I make up in my head that Hayden probably thinks I'm being lazy, my husband. That is not true. He He definitely does not think that. I thought you were about to say he definitely does. (laughs) He couldn't care less. But that's what we do in our heads, which is a little bit scary. We're socialised to believe that we always need to be earning money. We always need to be doing something productive. On those days off, I still do things, a bit of life admin, a little bit of care, a little bit of cooking, all of that annoying, boring stuff that comes with being a parent. And as you said, I'm growing a human and had the worst first trimester ever. So then I catch myself feeling ridiculous for feeling so bad about that. There's a quote in that article, and I'm going to read it out because it really deeply resonated with me. It said, or maybe the biggest sin of all, you take a career break, but you also hire a part-time nanny. Or you send your kids to daycare because being a parent 24-7 is basically unsustainable. Whatever you do, it's expensive and someone is definitely judging you. Oh, that last bit and someone is definitely judging you. And it's normally women, like other women. Why? It's normally, do you think it's normally like a trigger of jealousy or like for one mum it's feeling like she doesn't work enough, for the next it's feeling like she's not with her kids enough? Like are we all just holding up mirrors to each other? And we're constantly feeling guilty about our own decisions, so we project. That could be part of the reason. But for someone like me, I have four hours to myself every week. I, I It's actually such a lull that that's big. Like imagine me and you talking about it's, this five years ago. I know it sounds ludicrous. But when, <laughs> no, it I, is great. when I say it to some people, like, oh, I've got a nanny four hours a week. They're like, well, four. Oh, are you going back to work or what do you? Yeah. No, I, I'm using that time to have to myself and I feel zero guilt about that. I actually think sometimes I feel guilty for myself because that four hours that I do have someone to help, I'm like grocery shopping or... So that's not to yourself at all. Do you try try your best to avoid doing those things? I do try my best to avoid it. But but I mean, it's inevitable inevitable. because quite honestly, sometimes it is so nice just to peruse those aisles without a child in that seat smashing a lollipop. I actually like food shopping now. So Hayden's always been the food shopper among us. And sometimes when he offers, I'm like, 
Hey, I'll head out. You stay here, no, but, Ray. But why I'm do you do that? Out. Is that for silence? Silence. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so correct. I know what you mean. Like I actually don't mind the grocery shop if Ray's not there. See? I pretty much don't take him, like refuse. Hayden probably thinks I'm pathetic because he somehow man- manages to make it work. Yeah. But I just think like getting the kid out of the car and into the trolley, I'm just like, gives me anxiety. Correct. So I do take those four hours. I don't feel gu- guilty at all. Um, and I think... The other thing that stood out to me about mum math was, and I'm so guilty of doing this myself, is assuming that childcare expenses come out of my wage yes, and yet the rebate is based on both of your yeah. wages. And unfortunately, because of the gender pay gap we mentioned earlier, it's normally the husband, in husband-wife relationships that is, who are driving up the income and therefore driving down the subsidy you get. Exactly. But I said to you, Yesterday, remember I said, oh, this is such bullshit. Maybe I'll, I'll, what's the point of me working? Yes. Maybe I'll just stay at home and be a stay-at-home mum. Even though for me, I I would actually could not cope with that as in it Mm. wouldn't work mentally for Mm. me. But you said to me correctly, well, Loz, you'd earn less super. Uh, There's less, less likelihood of linear career progression what happened if something happened with you and Ryan? Like, I don't know, what is it? What's the divorce rates now? 50%? Oh, shit, shit loads of the things. All these women are getting together in communes. 90% of Australia are divorcing. <laughs> <laughs> so you correctly pointed out to me, no, that's the wrong way to think about it. But I think most people would think about it the way that I do. So to sum up the whole mum maths conversation, the reality is if you are shocking at maths like me, it doesn't matter because you always lose great you're always in the negative so, so don't worry about adding everything up so just for wing girl it. maths we are always saving money and always investing our money correctly and, and mum maths you're always losing <laughs> ditch your excel spreadsheet ditch your calculations just wing it and know you're in the negative a study led by the university of south australia showed that workplace discrimination is still rife for pregnant women in particular those returning from mat leave so two stats that held very true for me, were whilst on leave, 22% had their tasks or job altered against their wishes. I've seen this happen to numerous girlfriends of mine. How do they get away with it? Because if you take a year off, it's like the organisation changes and they're like, oh, we need different things in your PD. They're just so good at working it in, aren't they, without it being discrimination or without it being perceived as something wrong that they're doing. For sure. But it's so frustrating. Yeah. Because you have this expectation of what you're going back to. Yeah. And then when it changes by like 60%, you're like, well, it's not the contract you signed, really. Like it's amazing the way they get away with it. And the other one was that 38% reported negative or offensive remarks for taking time off work to care for a sick child. This is the one that really got me. This makes me insane with fury because firstly, if someone's child is unwell, do you think that obviously outside of the fact that we care for our children and we want them well and we want to look after them, but do you think that I would genuinely rather be at home with my sick kid who's unwell than have a well kid who's at daycare and be at work doing work that I enjoy? No, you would rather take a sick day with your child in daycare daycare for yourself, (laughs) not at work. Exactly. So there's this common misconception, I think, that women are just like slacking and taking days off when half the time we're probably in a hospital because our kid has really No one wants to look after a snotty kid. You don't even want that for yourself. You want to keep your distance, like go away. It's boring. Don't touch mummy. It's boring. It's upsetting because they're upset and there's nothing fun about it. And one thing I'm really sick of is women particularly 
being so apologetic when they have to take a sick day with their kid. If that person is coupled, a lot of the time they'd prefer their husband or their wife or whoever their partner is to take that day off so that they could be at work. So we need to drop the guilt and stop over-apologising. How on earth do we do this, Loz? Oh, this is so hard because I do that myself. And I think it's very easy to be like, don't feel guilty. Yeah. Oh, 100%. But how you feel is how you feel. If my friend came to me and was like, oh, it's my second day back and my child is sick, which is happening for my friend right now, I would be like, you can't do anything about it. Like, it's not your fault. She's just started daycare. She's unwell. But if the same happened to me, and it did happen to me, actually, it was the first podcast recording for a podcast that I was the producer on. And I got gastro and so did my son and I couldn't show up to the first demo record and I felt riddled with guilt. Yeah. So let's look at it in a different way. I like to look at it like this. The way you feel is the way you feel. It's okay to feel guilty. However, unless your child is so sick that you're taking more than a week off, chances are that in 99% of cases, the one that's picking up that work is you. Yeah. No yeah. one's stepping in to do your work for a day. Yeah, you're coming it's an back, emergency. You've probably you're probably stuck with that work. You're anyway. still doing it. So why you feel guilty? Why are you feeling guilty about doing your own work? Mm, just a day delayed. <laughs> and also the likelihood is you're probably logging in late at night. You're going in early. You're making up for that time somewhere else. So what are you actually apologizing for? The work is getting done and it's most likely getting done by you. What if it is getting done by someone else? How do you communicate and handle that situation? Okay. So if, for example, your colleague picked up your work for that one or two days or perhaps you had extended leave because of a sick child, if they're picking up that work, again, I know this is a bit stereotypical, um, but I would say most likely it would be a female colleague picking Mm. up your work. Um, That's so true, unfortunately. I remember in one of my jobs like all of the shitty admin I realised – fell on the women to do. It was like we were PAs. It, it was literally like we were mums of the office. Yeah. Or the person that might be picking up your work is someone that has a family. So they're mm. more likely to understand the situation that you're in because they've been in it themselves. I didn't return to an office environment after becoming a mum. What did you notice in your scenario? Did you find that mums were more willing to pick up load for you or not because they also had so much going on themselves? I think naturally you end up doing it unless as in you just end up doing your own work absolutely yeah. yeah if but if you were desperate i would most probably reach out to another female mm. instead of bothering my male colleague which is oh, insane it's insane but i can totally imagine i would do the same yeah so let's rephrase it my advice would be to turn that sorry into a thank you so yesterday or last week or whenever didn't go to plan I had a sick child. Thank you so much for X, Y, Z, or thank you so much for being supportive or thank you for your understanding. We shouldn't be apologizing. We shouldn't be saying sorry because you're doing the work anyway. Yes. Turning sorry into thank you is great, especially the thank you for understanding. That is really all that needs to be said. So Loz, we had two really great questions this week from our community and some really good answers. So I'm going to start with number one which was about to start trying, what could I start doing now to financially prepare? This first person had a really great suggestion. Don't fall into the trap of buying things new. Do secondhand. You can never fully prepare. I went in thinking I would have one child and had triplets. (gasps) Oh, 
Whoa. That's a bombshell. That is a bombshell. Do you know what's insane about that? I interviewed Celia for my podcast, who's a mum of triplets. She went in for a second child, went into the ultrasound. You're not having one, you're not having two, you're having three. And something incredible that she told me, and I've actually got the stat up now that she shared with me in the episode, which is from the Australian Multiple Birth Association. This is from May 2023, so super recent. Research conducted by Per Capita in our recent report, Multiples Matter, showed that the cost of twins and higher order multiples were almost five times and 13 times respectively higher than those of a singleton up to the age of one. So it costs about five times more to have twins. You would think just double. No, five times more. Not only that, they don't get any extra benefits from the government. Yeah, that is something I find strange. Yeah, so they don't get anything back and they have more and more expensive lifestyle just by chance. Yeah, for, so secondhand for them is absolutely perfect. I absolutely love this next one. This is from Naomi Chrysalakis, who I interviewed recently for Ready or Not. She said that she started a postpartum fund as soon as she started thinking about trying. As part of preconception prep, I automated $20 a week into it. And if I had any extra money, I'd put it in. That's how I afforded postpartum doula, massages, osteo, et cetera, et cetera. That is such a great idea. It's so achievable. $20 a week. And even if it was $5 a week, you still build that up. And especially if you haven't even started trying yet, that is such a good tip. Another listener wrote in, if you're going private and you're relying on insurance, see how much you'll need to pay out of pocket. Because for those people that are going private, what you may not know is that your health insurance doesn't cover your obstetrician. Mm. You have an anaesthetist fee. Sometimes there's out-of-pocket hospital fees that you might not expect, expect. And then you've obviously got your excess. So it doesn't cover everything. This next question is a really big one. It had a lot of responses. I live in a new place and I'm finding it hard to make mum friends. Help. One of the responses was I found mum friends at the local community playgroup. Tick, great idea. Another person wrote in about the Peanut app. Personally, I haven't used it, but there was quite a few responses about the Peanut app, so seems like a great place. So many people mentioned it. Another person has written in, I highly recommend finding local baby classes in your area, so baby sensory, swimming, library sessions, then striking up convos with parents there and asking for the number for a play date or coffee. Great. One big thread is that you just have to put yourself out there, which can be really hard, but I think that's the – what you have to do if you're moving somewhere new, you're just going to have to put yourself out there, even if it feels uncomfortable. Yeah. Kids are good too, because they teach you to be a bit more, if you're at a park with a kid, you're a bit more playful and adventurous and you're taking their lead. I remember Charlotte Squires, who I interviewed, I think in the second or third episode of Ready or Not, she spoke about this, how we can emulate our kids a little bit more if we're out playing with them. So take a lead leaf out of your kid's book and just go up to someone like they would. What's your name? (laughs) Well, I also think when you become a parent, you automatically have something in common with someone else. And it's the fact that you've both given birth yeah, and you both have children. Mm. So you can just put your differences aside and talk about your kids. Yeah. And it fills in half an hour. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Because that is boring. It is. One thing I will say as another suggestion for those of you who don't know is that you can be assigned to a mother's group through your local council more than once. Yeah, I didn't know this actually until t- you told me that for my second child I could say, give me a mother's group. Absolutely. So, Why does everyone think that you can only get a mother's group for your first time? Because nobody asks. Yeah. So I asked. I will say that I do have a lot of 
girlfriends. And How, you were really lucky with your first mother's group too. I loved my first mother's yeah. group and I still do. They're an amazing group of women. But when you have your second kid, location comes into play. So a lot of my girlfriends don't necessarily live mm. within a street or two away. Yeah. And sometimes I just want to get out of the house and have a coffee. Yeah. So when Zabe was born, I went to my maternal health nurse and said, hey, I'd like to join another mother's group. She's like, oh, okay. No problem. It was as easy as that. Thanks for listening to Witching Hour. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a review, tell your friends and follow us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. Bye.